Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So Jenny, what do we have on tap this week for the listeners? Well, I have been knee deep in board prep lately. Yikes, that's scary. And um, I came across some topics that I wasn't really familiar with after training just in Manhattan. Uh, So I thought maybe we could tackle one of those and talk about some bites and stings. Now, we've done snake bites on a previous podcast, but I thought we could talk about some other kind of stingy, bitey stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You know, board prep, uh, they are not attuned to what we see in Manhattan. So there's not a lot of subway injuries on the boards. Yeah, no. Uh, so it's good to branch out a little bit. I agree. <laughs> so let's talk. start by talking about the most common bites and stings that we see. Now, most commonly, we see things like bees, wasps, hornets, even ants. And yes, we get some of those here in Manhattan. These types of bites and stings present in a variety of ways, but luckily all of these critters bites lead to the same reactions and we can basically treat them all the same way. Most commonly, you're going to see this simple local reaction like you would see with a simple bee sting. They're going to have some swelling, some redness, and of course, it is a little bit painful as well. Next, the patient can present with a more toxic reaction. This is where the patient suffers many stings, and you can see this if they get hit by like a swarm of killer bees. Again, not much of a problem in Manhattan, but it depends on where you work, whether this is going to be something at play. These patients might present with headache, nausea, vomiting, and they can even syncopize, mainly from vasodilation of all of the mediators that get secreted in a response to that toxin that's in their system. And clinically, you may be concerned these patients are having anaphylaxis, and when in doubt, you can go ahead and treat them as anaphylaxis. That's the safest thing to do. Right. And of course, the patient could actually be having an anaphylactic reaction. Now, onset for this should be within minutes of the sting, and it's typically going to include symptoms such as bronchospasm, that urticarial rash, edema, nausea, vomiting, hypotension. But actually, some patients will present with just respiratory symptoms or just hypotension. And last, the patient can actually have a delayed reaction. This is from an immunologic response that will include arthralgias, fevers, and malaise that can come like even one to two weeks after the sting. I can't say I've ever seen this, but I have to wonder if it's something that I've been missing since a sting that remote could be totally unremembered by the patient and I might not even think to ask them about it. Yeah, there's some great points in there that I think we should just stress one more time. The lone respiratory symptoms, lone hypotension with something that could have caused an allergic reaction. That's enough. And, you know, Ruben Strayer says it all the time. If you have a compromise of A, B, or C, you should give epinephrine. So airway, breathing, circulation, any compromise to those systems, give epinephrine in these particular cases. For all the stings by bees and ants, the treatment's the same. If the stinger is in place, you want to try and remove that, and you can just do that with a simple tweezer. After that, you perform some local wound care, so you can apply ice that'll help to reduce the swelling, help to reduce the redness and the pain. And then if they have systemic symptoms, like with anaphylaxis, we're going to give them epinephrine. It's 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams IM. That is the anaphylaxis dose of epinephrine. And these patients should all be discharged with an epinephrine auto-injector if they had anaphylaxis to a bee sting. So they should have that all the time and then refer to an allergist. Yeah, sounds good. So now let's move on to some specific biting critters that we need to be aware of. Let's start with the brown recluse or loxosceles spider. This is that spider that's described as having a violin or fiddle pattern on its back. You'll find this spider only in the Midwest, which is why training in New York City didn't bring me face to face with one kind of, thank God. Um, But this spider has a painless bite that will present with 
only localized erythema. So you're going to perform local wound care for this bite and then discharge the patient with return precautions. The patient needs to know that there's the possibility of the bite developing into a necrotic ulcer due to a cytotoxin in the venom. There's really nothing that you can do on that first visit to prevent that necrotic ulcer from developing, and it's even hard to predict whether it's going to happen. If it happens, it usually will occur in the next three to four days, and the patient should return, at which point you should give a tetanus update, debride the wound, and eventually the patient may need to be seen by plastics for a skin graft to repair any damage. Now, there are many brown recluse spider bites that don't get this severe. They get a little necrotic area, it goes away, they heal, but it's something to watch out for. There's also the more severe hemolytic reaction that can happen, but this seems to be quite rare and mostly seen in children. These effects will likely take place in 24 to 72 hours after a bite. So again, give them good precautions or just have them come back in 48 or 72 hours for a wound check. Next, let's talk about the black widow spider or lactodectris. This is a black spider with a red hourglass pattern on its back. Unlike the brown recluse, this spider is found all over the United States. It has a neurotoxic venom, which causes the release of acetylcholine and norepinephrine. This bite should be immediately painful, but there should be no necrosis. There may be localized or general muscle cramping that can be very, very painful. The norepinephrine release can lead to tachycardia and even hypertension, but this can also result from the pain itself. Also, you want to look for localized sweating, which means just sweating around the bite site. This is due to the local release of acetylcholine. Treatment for this bite is supportive, so analgesics, maybe some benzos. There is an antivenom that will relieve the pain within 20 minutes, but it's made from horse serum, and it puts the patient at risk for anaphylaxis, so it's really reserved for severe or refractory pain. Let's also touch on one non-bug creepy crawly, the bark scorpion, or centroroides. The bark scorpion venom is neurologically excitatory, activating both the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. The most common presentation for this bite is simply local swelling and pain. Systemic toxicity due to the neurotoxin is rare, and again, it's going to be most commonly seen in small children. These patients will present with jerking muscle movements, cranial nerve dysfunction, hypersalivation, ataxia, and, and opsoclonus, which is this rapid involuntary movement of the eyes in all different directions. These symptoms are going to last for about 24 to 48 hours without the antivenom, and the management here, again, is going to be supportive. So we're going to watch these patients, we're going to manage the airway if necessary, and give them analgesia. We do have access to the antivenom in the U.S., so it's something that you can get if the patient has a severe systemic reaction, and this isn't going to be stocked in your hospital for most places. You're going to have to call your poison center, discuss with them whether the antivenom should be given, and then how to obtain it for your patient. All right, Jenny, how about wrapping up with some take-home points? Absolutely. First, the most common bites and stings you're going to see are bees and ants. These can present as a local reaction, a toxic reaction, anaphylaxis, or a delayed reaction. For all of these, treat with local wound care and epinephrine for any systemic symptoms. Second, the brown recluse spider is found in the Midwestern United States and presents as local pain and swelling, but carries the risk of a necrotic ulcer. Third, the black widow spider is found all around the United States and presents with either localized or generalized muscle cramping, local sweating, and potentially tachycardia and hypertension. Treatment is going to be symptomatic management with analgesics and maybe some benzos. And last, the bark scorpion usually presents with localized pain and swelling, 
but particularly in children, it, it could present with a serious systemic presentation, including jerking muscle movements, cranial nerve dysfunction, hypersalivation, ataxia, and opsoclonus. Treatment is supportive cares, but remember to call your poison center to ask about the antivenin. All right. Well, that's all for the Coriem podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coriem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google+, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week. 